Hi, and welcome to Automation Unpacked Tales from the Warehouse, where we aim to support, guide, and inspire you on your path to automate warehouse facilities. Today, I'm joined by Andrew Jackson from Vecna Robotics. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Corey. Nice to be here. Good to have you. So let's start off by learning a little bit more about Vecna and what you do over there. So could you just give a sort of brief overview of the company and what your mission is in this in, in supply chain? Sure. I work for Vecna Robotics, which is an AMR company based out of Waltham, Massachusetts. Well, established in 2018, we're a spinoff from Vecna Technologies, which used, uh, used to have technology that ran in hospital type settings. So these were small sled style AMRs uh, that operated freely within the confines and spaces of hospitals, getting critical supplies over to nurse stations and doctors alike. We took that technology learning and we uh, kind of upsized it, so to speak. Uh, and now what we make is high capacity material handling vehicles, such as pallet jacks, tuggers, and forklifts uh, for the industrial market. Uh, industrial being, yes, you manufacture something and we uh, deliver those parts to the line and take them from the line to you, uh, to the dock. Or in a warehouse setting, for instance, if you're trying to get material in mass, we're going to be able to tug uh, four to eight pallets at a time in order to uh, decrease your manual traffic density and increase your throughput. Um, our vehicles are free and independent. They're infrastructure free uh, and uh, run on LIDAR-based systems. So. Um, we uh, have an ever-expanding portfolio um, and have just started to uh, reach into the forays of, of both manufacturing, warehousing, and it, uh, specifically retail markets as well. Okay. And just to, to be clear, LIDAR stands for what? Light, imaging, detection, and ranging. So what we do is we take a, essentially uh, a point cloud, right? Uh, and it, it's a scanner that sends a thousand lasers out all at once. And those lasers return light at a specific speed. We know what that speed is. So if something is closer, then it comes back quicker. If something's further away, then it comes back in a, in a longer duration of time. And that allows us to get depth perception. And it's essentially our eyes. That's what our vehicles use in order to um, see the entire world and, in, in, and actually create maps of the world in which the vehicles live in. Got it. And so if I understand that correctly, that will create a map of a particular facility, but and learn that over time, or it'll be trained sort of on that sort of physical model. Right. Uh, yeah, so we use three different types of uh, LIDAR systems. And I said imaging, it's actually light emitting. My, uh, my bad for the, uh, the uh, misspeak there. Um, essentially what we're doing is you're, we're using three separate sets of LIDAR systems. Those LIDAR systems are on board the vehicle. And as we drive around in the facility, we're collecting all the information of the physical infrastructure that makes up your facility. So this is your columns, your walls, your machines, the racking and all of the pallets and everything else that is around those machines. And even the people in the material handling equipment that are in that space while we're actually imaging that, that area. Afterwards, we're able to go back and identify that which is part of the building, physical infrastructure. That physical infrastructure then allows us to create targets within the area, and we create a map based on those targets. So you don't have to change anything. What we're essentially doing is creating a ways type, uh, style um, 
uh, system within your facility where a robot knows where it is when it opens its eyes and can drive anywhere within that facility based on the map that is internal to its server system. Got it. And so I'd imagine some of those physical, uh, like, or there's some more permanent obstacles, but then there's also um, obviously real-time detection with the right. People, right? So if, like someone runs in front of um, an AMR. Yeah. Obviously, it's yeah. Not. <laughs> yeah, so one of those LiDAR systems is a, is a proprietary safety system. It's a safe LiDAR system um, that is independent of the other two LiDAR systems. And that LiDAR system is for the proverbial bouncing ball, right? What comes after the bouncing ball, right? And we all know that we, uh, we slam on our brakes for that, so to speak. So if you get in front of my vehicle, yes, of course, it's going to come to a stop. However, the other LiDAR systems are there to look in advance of that system to make sure that we're able to see that which is out ahead of our primary safety system and start reacting to the environment appropriately. What is appropriately? Well, um, heaven forbid we start slowing down when we see something up ahead of us that might um, be an object that is we consider an obstacle later as we get closer to it. Or maybe we start um, using auditory signals for those folks who are passing through the aisles unaware that we're uh, traveling in the same aisle as them. The entire purpose of our technology and that it's based on LiDAR is to work cooperatively within these warehousing and manufacturing environments so that we be become another piece of material handling equipment, not a necessarily a robot that you have to train everybody on and look out for because it needs its own specific idiosyncrasies. Got it. And is there, this is just me being very curious about this. Is there a, are there any instances where that detection would fail? Like if, sensors get like clogged or there's some sort of obstruction of something on the AMR and what does that look like how what is like the alerting system for there being you know that risk Sure. The sensors actually have their own degrees of intelligence. So we use uh, a sick, safe LiDAR-based system. This LiDAR-based system is required to have redundant capacity because of its safety capability, which means that if it notices any fault in its internal structure or its ability to image, which means perceive, send those point clouds out and get that return information, it's actually going to return an error to the overarching system. So what does that mean? That means that when your sunglasses, the little lenses that are on the actual sensors themselves, keeping the internal mechanisms protected from the external elements, when those sunglasses get dirty, they actually have a secondary signal that is sent to our system that says you're starting to lose visibility, clean my windshield, right? Now, if you don't Maybe you ignore that. You're really super busy. What's going to end up happening is the vehicle is actually just going to shut itself down and then tell you what it needs. In all aspects of AMR technology, there is a degree of intelligence. No, I am not talking about artificial intelligence. This is not the Terminator rewriting its own code computer system. It's just simple mechanisms so that the operators of the AMRs and the users of them alike have user-friendly interfaces that tell them what's going on with the machine, if the safety system goes down, why it goes down, and what to do to fix or rectify that. 
Now, in instances where that's not enough, the Vecna robotic system is unique in the fact that we actually have a remote monitoring system attached to the vehicle infrastructure. So let's say you can't figure it out, the air codes not meaning what it needs to mean to you and you really need to get yourself back into production. The vehicle is also communicating with an actual human being who's gonna give you a call, it's not like tech support, you're not waiting on a line or anything. And what's gonna end up happening is you're gonna have a cooperative experience with us in which we're gonna tell you how to get the vehicle back into operation and what we can do in the future to make sure that we don't have that same problem again. So there's multiple tiers of backup to the problem that you've presented, which is what happens if one of the safety sensors goes down? There are a lot of different uh, ways to fix that uh, proverbial problem. Right. And so I know you're probably on the road quite a bit talking to different customers embarking yeah. on some probably daunting automation project. Um, where does a warehouse with zero automation start? Oh boy. Um, well, they always want to start at the hardest thing first, right? High bay racking. They want to go 44 feet up in the air with a 5,000 pound pallet and place it perfectly in a double. Nope. Let's Let's back it up a little bit. If we're gonna go into a warehouse setting, what we wanna do is analyze the operation in order to understand where robots are going to be adopted first. Now, adoption is the process of human beings accepting the fact that robots are there to assist them, not replace them. Um, and so what we're trying to do is get a very basic workflow within any warehouse that does a few things. One, it increases worker safety. It's one of the primary goals of installing AMR technology because they're always behaving themselves, these robots. They drive neatly on the right-hand side and they always mind their P's and Q's. They come to a stop at intersections. Um, they uh, are um, consistently looking out for other traffic and slowing down and adjusting their behaviors accordingly. Second, it's going to help with the labor shortage problem. So if you now want a robot to help with the first two things, safety and labor shortage, what do you do? Well, you figure out how you're going to increase capacity. So what we're here to do is optimize throughput and increase a warehouse's ability to move with less work to move it, right? So let's say um, a warehouse wants to start simple. What we're gonna do is maybe have a tugger report to the dock. The forklift driver is gonna unload that truck and put it right on the back of the tugger, which is gonna be able to now take eight pallets into the interior where another forklift driver is gonna unload them and put them away. Normally this operation would be conducted in a much different fashion where the unloading driver would either place those pallets in staging lanes at the dock, which takes up a lot of space, or that driver would actually go into the truck, take the pallet off the truck, and then drive all the way to that pallet's put-away position in that very expensive, very um, technical reach truck. They would put the pallet away and then most of the time spend 50% of their time driving back to the docks with their forks empty just to do the same operation again. So where do we start? We start decreasing the traffic density, getting those drivers and those expensive trucks to stay where those trucks are meant to work. Reaching, picking, and putting things in and out of trailers or up in high bay racking. And we do the traveling between those two points of operation to start any good warehouse operation. Thanks, that's, that's helpful. I like, have a nice picture of this 
um, this doc now. I would love to hear a little bit about the two two areas, the safety piece and the how how Amherst work with humans. When we talk about Vecna in particular, my understanding is that your AMRs are really designed or sort of best fit is is for heavier heavier jobs. Is that correct? I think one of the um, the assumptions that a lot of people make. Heavy is dependent upon industry, though. So if I'm working in a building materials industry, um, I'm going to look at an 8,000-pound pallet, and that's going to be heavy, right? But if I'm working in a retail-type uh, operation, either on the manufacturing side or the warehousing side, heavy is usually anywhere between 1,000 and 3,000 pounds. And that's our sweet spot right now, not just at Vecna, but in the AMR market as a whole. You look at the upper echelon of payload capacity on a forklift, specifically for a fork vehicle that is capable of uh, picking something up. Um, and that is technically an autonomous mobile robot, right? We're not talking about necessarily a AGV hybrid, a laser guided vehicle, or a, a very narrow aisle truck, which runs on wire guidance systems, those have much higher capacities because the navigation is lent over to physical infrastructure. Um, you look around about 3,000 to um, 3,500 pounds is the total max capacity for a vehicle in our industry. Got it. And then you touched us on a little bit a little bit already, but would love to dive into um, sort of your thoughts and, and, you know, as you have conversations with customers and prospects, and I think there can be this perception that there's just like a replacement of employment, right, um, of humans. And I would love to hear your thoughts on what you hear out there, right? Um, what concerns your customers are having, what prospects are having um, around the relationship between automation, AMRs in particular, and, you know, human beings, you know, working in these spaces. And, and how do you envision that looking, you know, moving forward? I like the word that you use, the key operating phrase that you just use is relationship. Robots and human beings are a relationship. No matter how you slice it, human beings aren't going away. That's just not the, the world that we, even at Vecna Robotics, want to see. You hear <clears throat> a lot of folks talking about lights out facilities, right? Places where robots are doing everything and human beings are kind of like the Maytag guy, right? They're sitting in, in, in the, um, in the, uh, on top of the washing machine in the break room waiting for something to, to break down so that they can go out there. No, not necessarily the world that we want to live in. Human beings are actually really important and integral to a robot success. So where's that relationship stand, right? Well, first you start with customers who are dipping their toe into the water of the uh, autonomous material handling market. And the why is important. The why is usually labor shortage and safety. These are the two big, huge drivers that bring us to uh, the table with con uh, folks. They just can't find people. And if they find people, the people are inconsistent in terms of their ability to perform um, on a consistent basis day to day uh, or 
they will simply just leave, right? Three months after they're uh, hired, they're trained, there's all this onboarding, there's all these soft costs that people are incurring in order to get these new um, employees back into the, the fray, right? And then the next thing they know that that hourly operator is leaving to go across the street um, to a, a big box store company or something like that um, for an extra dollar an hour. So that's a reactive measure. Safety is also reactive measure, right? So if somebody gets hurt in your facility, that's a big deal. Why? Because that's a human being. And we need to take a moment and spend some time on the fact that the human being getting hurt is big enough. However, there is a financial cost behind that, right? So now you have OSHA reporting, you have fines and penalties, you have that laborer taken off that forklift for whatever reason, and the instituted policies of HR are enacted, right? So usually there's a, a process of having to understand why that laborer um, got injured or created an injury, so on and so forth. It's a laborious process that is completely alleviated by AMRs. They are actually inherently safe to a categorized level. So let me uh, take a step back there. I'm a certified machine safety expert. I've been doing um, safety risk assessments and, and general safety uh, on automated equipment for the majority of my career. And what I'm talking about there is that once a safety incident happens, it's not just about the injury, it's about the entire process of recording it and then working to rectify it. And then imagine that process has to repeat itself once, twice, maybe even 10 times a year, depending on your facility. Safety becomes kind of a burden issue um, to folks, right? So now we have the two reactive measures. And how are we going to get our robots into a warehousing facility or a manufacturing facility alike and have the human beings not feel like they're coming for their jobs, right? So this is the uh, the conversation that I have when I wear this little patch on my shirt and I'm out for dinner. Hey, you work for a robot company? Up, oh, they're coming to take everybody's job, right? Actually, no. I'm here to tell you that's really not the case. It was actually one of my biggest worries coming to work for Vecna Robotics. I was like, are you telling me that if I sell somebody a, a forklift, I'm going to put somebody else out of work? That didn't sit very pretty with me, right? I, I don't really want to be that guy. What it actually comes down to is that the operation of a forklift within a highly chaotic environment, such as a warehouse operating 24-7, just inundated with product, or even worse, a manufacturing facility, such as an automotive line-side operation. I mean, if you shut down an automotive manufacturer making cars, that's a big deal, right? So these operators are going too fast. They are um, largely underpaid, um, although that pay rate is changing as people are trying to attract that labor into the marketplace. And this creates an environment in which there's a lot going on in a little space. Well, that's a safety issue and it will create downstream challenges. So what we're actually talking about is reallocation, not replacement. The individual that's driving around for 10 hours a day on a forklift, not the greatest job in the entire world. Very taxing. You have to be highly alert. I think we've all probably seen videos here and there of the forklift driver who's out at three o'clock in the morning driving back to the dock, falls asleep at the wheel and then knocks over all the racking, right? This is a real problem within the industry. And what we're actually doing with these AMRs is we're keeping those operators employed in 
tasks that benefit the organization and also ergonomically, safety-wise, and compensation-wise benefit the employee by installing the AMRs to take up the driving portion. Now, that's a lot from me. So I'm going to step back and hope that that made sense and, and, no, and, and see if you have any continuing questions there. No, absolutely. Uh, it makes me wonder how fast uh, your AMRs go. Okay. Like what's the Ooh. max speed out of curiosity? Okay. So speed for me is directly related to the amount of space that I have to go fast, right? My AMRs are capable of 6.7 miles per hour. The Vecna Robotics AMR uh, fleet is actually the highest speed in the industry. Now that's a really cool specification, kind of like 350 horsepower in your vehicle, right? Yes. But are you driving on 25 mile an hour back roads? Or are you driving on four lane super highways? And that's going to dictate to me how fast I can go in your facility because speed is directly proportional to safety, mm -hmm. right? These vehicles have sensors and those sensors have fields. Those fields get bigger when the vehicle goes faster in order to sense out further. This is commonly referred to as human depth perception, right? So you don't really slow down in your car when the car ahead of you just taps on its brake lights. You're usually looking three or four cars ahead to see if that car is also put on its brake lights to make an effective decision on how hard to press that, that brake pedal. We're the same way. We're just doing it with LiDAR systems. Okay, got it. Makes sense. And you mentioned this... Um earlier around like kind of going back to the relationship between robots and or amrs and human workers in a warehouse i was on a conversation i was in a conversation yesterday with a customer that just deployed um a fleet of amrs in their facility and they were saying that um you know they're very well received and actually people are kind of everyone wants to work with them, right? It's really changed and transformed that worker experience. Um, what has your experience been with your customers as they've implemented your technology? What's the, what's the impact I think from, and if you can share some use cases, that'd be great or some stories. What's the impact in terms of, you know, improving just like operational efficiencies, but it, and also any, stories you can share around impact on on the humans in, in these spaces so um the first thing that i'm hearing you ask is what's adoption like in a facility right the amr show up and now all of a sudden the human beings are working alongside this small little black box that's running along the ground or a big forklift or a tugger that looks like the thing that they were just driving the day before and they don't really like change very much, right? We're all human. Who likes change? I mean, imagine what happens when you go get your new cell phone in the 12 hours of your life that you absolutely never get back. Setting up the screen and all the little widgets and all the app drawers and all that stuff all over the place, right? When your graphical user interface changes on your phone, you have a visceral reaction to it. It's the same way when AMR show up, unless that AMR company is very savvy at understanding that adoption is 50% of the program. Guys, look, fear is real. It's an acronym and it means face everything and rise or 
afraid, I'm going to check my words there, but F everything and run, right? And so what we're talking about here is how do we get people to understand that these AMRs are actually assistants? They are not replacements. They are there to improve your safety, your ergonomics. They have lifting capacities, placement capacities. They have interactive capacities that allow you to visually see where they want to go. They honk at you. Uh, they have touch screens inviting you over to understand what they are, where they're going. They report their, their, their positions themselves, what they're doing, their battery capacities, all of that good stuff up to a higher management system so that people who we also train, not just the operators, but what we call robot wranglers or robot um, experts within a facility have the ability to understand at any given point in time where Bob, Brady, Bill, or um, uh, Bojangle is, uh, and these are all custom names that we'll give to the, to the uh, uh, AMRs when we install them, uh, in order for everybody to understand that this is a now a cooperative fleet, right? Now, here's the other side of that coin. Some guy shows up, tells everybody in the executive team that these AMRs are great. They're going to do everything that I told you to. So they buy them, they put them in, they install them. And the next day the operator comes in, they're up and running and they haven't been asked. They don't have any buy-in. They don't have any training. There's no signs, placards telling them what the, these AMRs are going to do. And well, they don't really feel too great about that. Do they, right? They don't feel warm, accepted, involved, right? So, What's the point here? Let's keep the humanity in the human beings, right? So let's essentially create adoption through the technology and how we interface with it rather than just insert it into an operation and say, okay, here, you're going to use this today. That's a big step, right? A use case um, that I can point to would be um, where uh, an operation was using an antiquated AGV technology. AGV stands for automatic guided vehicles, whereas AMR stands for autonomy, right? And autonomous means that it, in the process of getting its work done, has some free, re free space reasoning and free thinking capacities. So an AGV follows a wire. That wire is usually very expensive to maintain. So there's nuisance point number one. You've got a maintenance guy that has to go out there and replace this tape on the floor almost on a daily basis because all the manual truck drivers tear it up when they're doing their pirouettes and driving around the facility um, in various different speed capacities. I'll just kind of smile about that one there. Now, you take that AGV, which runs a route. It goes from A to B to C to D. It's very predictable. And you replace it with an AMR, right? What are you getting? You're getting a higher throughput. You're getting the more versatility. And you're getting, ultimately, something that is able to expand and adapt to your operation rather than run on a track. So you're then increasing your capacity, but you're also increasing the interaction with the operators. So this means that now instead of the AGV driving up to a stop, the AMR is capable of driving over into the operation and becoming closer to the line sign operator. Those extra five feet that that person doesn't need to push that pallet over to get it onto the back of that uh, a a AGV tugger, that's a really big deal because what that equates to for us is five extra seconds.
Now, if you're doing 100 operations every single day, uh, seven days a week, and you never stop, those five seconds ergonomically mean something to the operator. Operationally, they mean something to the whole overarching system. Better time on target, better efficiency. Now imagine you have 16 of those actual line side stops along your AMR route, and now you have 16 five-second uh, efficiencies that you've gained, 16 ergonomic efficiencies that you've gained. I think you, you can start expanding upon what I'm getting at here, right? We're actually here to increase the happiness for the workers and the human beings that are at their jobs by assisting them, by bringing these um, these line side uh, necessities over to manufacturing machines or being able to decrease the amount of traffic that's in the aisleways that, that are on the way to and from the docks and the warehousing solutions. Got it, thank you. And my understanding, so <laughs> you're here to correct me, is that Vecna can take an existing manual forklift um, with sensor and, and sort of outfit it to make it automated. Is that correct? So it's so, like that option versus buying like it's more, it's mostly correct. We don't take any platform, right? So, um, if anybody is familiar with having done a risk assessment before, every machine is a beautiful snowflake is some a common phrase that is used within the safety industry, meaning that machine number one with serial number 001 is usually different than machine number two with serial number 002 because maybe the wiring harness got changed. Now you have different connectors. You've gone from shunk, uh, from, um, uh, Muir to, to something else in order to, you know, save uh, a little bit on the, the wiring harnesses or something. Well, every single time you make a change in a machine, that machine then requires a different risk assessment because every single po uh, component in the, in the machine um, hierarchy needs to be analyzed. So what we do is we standardize on either a Unicarrier of America platform or a Big Joe platform. And you, both of these are both made in the United States. Um, one is a electrically assisted pallet jack that we outfit to become an AMR by using the innards. The same things that they make on their production line, we essentially attach out of the box sensors and controls to. So when you, you look at a unicarrier platform, it's a tugger started its life and rolled off the line as a tugger. But once it comes to Vecna, what we're doing is we're taking off the shelf commercially available sensors, encoders, um, LIDAR systems, and attaching that to our proprietary software system on board the vehicle. What that ultimately gives the end user is the ultimate benefit of having a piece of equipment that is not a little black box. It doesn't have to be only fixed by a specialty uh, a person from Vecna who has to get on a plane and come down. All people hear is downtime, right? In fact, what it is, is it's a tugger. It just has sensors and controls on it. So it can be maintained by any fleet management service, just like you would norm your normal forklifts or tuggers in your facility. Got it. So... when you are outfitting like existing yeah uh like an existing forklift does that once you automate it is it can it be manual ever again or is it just like this is now can it be like hybrid in that way exactly 
chakra. Exactly correct. And this is one of the coolest things that I like about our technology. Look, it started its life as a tugger and it never ever stops being a manually operatable tugger, right? So it's an AMR. You program it to go to stop one, two, three, four, five. Okay, on the way to stop number five in aisle A1, a whole stack of pallets fell over for some reason. The aisle is completely impassable. Now, with the Vecna technology, one, the vehicle's going to try and get around that obstacle by itself. That is where autonomy is different than automatic. But step two, if that vehicle can't see a path around that obstacle to just simply chart a course and uh, circumvent it, it's going to open up a portal to our 24-7 monitoring service called the Pivotal Command Center. Pivotal is the um, brand name that we use for our software system. It consists of our fleet manager, our orchestration engine, our data analytics tool, and our remote monitoring service. And what we're going to be able to do at that point is diagnose exactly what needs to happen to get that tugger back in service. It's now stuck in front of an impassable object. Let's, let's call it the avalanche in front of it, right? Well, what's the best way to get out of that kerfuffle? To call somebody over, have them throw it into manual, get on that tugger, turn around and get out of there. And then for the rest of the day, until you clean up that ILA one, we'll take a different route because remember I mapped your facility already. So all routes are active and all paths are available. So now you manually put it back into service on the next adjacent aisle. You get off of that unit and you put it back into automatic mode. And then it's kind of like the old Ronco set it and forget it, right? You get off, you put it back into automatic mode and it goes back to what it was doing without you having to reteach it, rehome it, or reacquire some sort of physical infrastructure in order to tell it where it is, which is ultimately time right? What we're here to do at Vecna is to provide a solution that allows you to have to tend to your vehicles less and give you more time to do the more critical functions that you need to do in manufacturing and warehousing. And that's where that whole structure of our technology really comes into play and, and, and makes a, a difference. And that hybrid feature is, is one of the key um, components to understand. Very neat. I also like the idea that you can use existing equipment. Um, not everything needs to be net new. Um, so I love that. So pulling back a little bit, um, is there anything that from, you know, your experience in the industry, the conversations you're having, um, you found surprises people the most when they learn what surprises people the most well that's almost everything um so what surprises people the most is the safety system um so most people are very familiar with a area scanner so they come close to something and it stops what they don't understand about uh amr technologies is that an AMR is constantly expanding its field of view and adjusting its looking. So let me humanize this for a second. When you're riding a bicycle and you're about to make a left-hand turn from the right-hand lane to cross a busy street, you do not just 
go left and hope there's not a car over your shoulder, right? That's going to turn into a 50-50 scenario and the other 50% of that time, you're not riding the bike much anymore, right? You're going to look, you're going to turn your, your shoulder, you're going to look, you're going to use your, your, your depth perception, you're going to use your peripheral vision, you're going to see if that area or space is clear. <clears throat> and then based on your ability to perceive how you control the bicycle, and what your speed is, and what your environmental surroundings are, you're going to be able to make the decision on whether or not you're going to make that turn, or you're going to slow down and wait for a car to pass and then make the turn, or you're going to have to come to a complete stop because it's busy, and you need to wait. Well, our sensors do that exact same thing. They're just programmed in what we call vision sets. So when we show people that the vision of the AMR, and please forgive me, I'm using the word vision, but this is not a camera system, right? Camera systems um, have lenses, uh, they zoom in and out, they're affected by light. LiDAR doesn't necessarily care about all of that, which is a bonus feature for any LiDAR-based system, right? Um, that it doesn't get affected as much by the environment, um, that it is uh, agnostic necessarily to lighting conditions. Um, it's going to actually change its field of view. So it's going to start looking left with an expanded area over to the left and then shift its perception from the right to the left in order to be able to do exactly what a human being would do on a bicycle. So that's actually one of the, the, the things that astonishes people the most is how interactive the AMR is with its environment. And let's be honest, it has to be in order to be a safe vehicle. It can't just plot along on a line and then just make a left turn whenever it wants to, right? It needs to be able to see that that left turn is safe. The next thing that they're um, amazed by is that we're using driverless car technology here at Beckner Robotics. So we use 3D LiDAR systems in the middle as a part of our sensor fusion solution. We have the base ground sensors, right? Those sensors are there to make the vehicle stop if something gets in front of it or if it detects a safety hazard. But we're trying to get out ahead of that system by using the driverless car technology available in the market off the shelf today. So now that technology is looking ahead of the safety sensors from the floor all the way above the vehicle and really giving that vehicle a sense of three-dimensional space. <clears throat> this is what we call, excuse me, <clears throat> this is what we call three, uh, um, free space reasoning. And it allows us to see objects well in advance and then decide what to do about them. Are we going to slow down, come to a stop in front of it because we know that it's a transient object like a human being? Did you know, fun fact, LiDAR systems are so sensitive that they can detect the difference between a static and a transient object. What is that? A pallet that doesn't move, it's on the floor, versus a human being standing there staring at their cell phone, not paying attention to the fact that they're in the middle of a production aisle and they need to move, right? The human heart beats and our bodies sway, right? So we will be detected as a transient object. And our AMR is actually gonna react differently to that because if I just try and avoid you all of a sudden without honking at you or letting you know that I'm on my way towards you, well, Maybe you step into the path as I'm trying to drive around you and you start getting into that uh, ever familiar, no, you go, no, you go kind of scenario that we've all experienced when we're walking towards each other on the street, right? Um, so I, I think 
pairing my answer, right? The safety sensors and then the three-dimensional perception. What amazes customers the most is the ability for the AMR to gather so much information from its environment that it interacts with it versus exists in it. Existing means I am on my track. I am plotting along. Don't get in my way. Don't do anything that's going to impede my progress. I'm just there, right? And then I become kind of a nuisance, right? I have to constantly be watched out for versus an interactive autonomous vehicle that's built on a standard material handling platform that exists in and among your workers. It assists them and brings a better value to your overall operation in the long run. Amazing. Very, very informative here. I'm, I learned more about LiDAR than, than, I, than I bargained for, so I appreciate it. Um, all right. Well, it's been a pleasure having you. Um, any final words of advice that you have for listeners that are in that, you know, no automation state looking to make the leap? Uh, my advice is ask questions, right? You really want to make sure that you're not getting locked into a sales process when you're starting to talk about AMRs with AMR sales companies, right? Yes, my job is to go out and install robots in people's facilities. But it's a lot more to that than just, I want to sell a fleet of AMRs. We need to understand what space you have available for us. We need to understand what your throughput is. Then we need to understand how many workers that you have performing that operation today on how many shifts so that we not only have a functional and technically sound use case, but that we also have all of the goods for the bean counters, right? There's somebody out there that's going to have to pay for this. And if there's no return on investment, well, that's not going to happen because ultimately that's a bad business decision. Now, when you have so many different motivations in the decision-making process, it's very easy to get swayed one way or another based on a feature, right? But we're not really here to provide necessarily one feature versus the other feature and differentiate accordingly. What we're here is to provide a holistic solution that is capable today, expansive and collaborative for tomorrow. And when you are trying to figure out whose technology does what, what's the best fit, the ability to ask that individual questions, not only about their platforms, but how those platforms compete or relate to other vendors within the marketplace, and then listening to their answer is really, really important. It's very, um, it, 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 it's monumentally important to gather as much information about everything before you start taking the decision-making process to the, what we call the whittle down, right? So you talk to eight different vendors and then you whittle down to the three that you want to actually try and go with, right? Well, their willingness to answer the questions about their, their platforms, but also their uh, understanding of other types of platforms and the benefits and detractors of both is really going to help you, the end customer, get to the truth, the real AMR that you need to choose at the end versus listening to a sales pitch. <laughs> Fair enough. Great advice. Thank you so much, Andrew, and hope to see you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This was a real pl pleasure for me today. All right. Cheers. Cheers.